So if there was one quality that you could have today perfectly, what would it be? Maybe the ability to be on time everywhere you go. Nobody, wow. Maybe, maybe perfect patience. Yes, maybe. Maybe the ability to, to be able to read people and never get it wrong. Some of you are like, I can already do that. <laughs> maybe the ability to solve problems perfectly. No matter what comes your way, you, you can solve the problem. Maybe, maybe it's something like confidence. You want perfect confidence. That's the ability that you, or the, the characteristic that you want to have. For me, you know what that characteristic is? I want to have perfect perception. And, and here's what I mean by that. I want the ability to be able to look beyond my feelings and see things as they really are. Because that's how, I, that's how I'm, I'm a feeler, and so that's how I look at the world. I have feelings about things, and, and a lot of times when I feel a certain way about something, well, it's really hard for me to look outside of my feelings and see things for what they really are. And so I would want perception. I would want vision. And if we're honest, I think a lot of us would benefit from that. Because we face things all the time. Circumstances, trials. Where if we could just look beyond what we feel and what we see around us, and if we could have perception of the way things really are, if we could just get a, the right vision, man, everything would be alright. That's where in Isaiah chapter 6, that's what's going on. Isaiah gets a vision. In a time where they're facing great uncertainty, he sees a vision. He sees God sitting on His throne. And it changes His life and the people's life forever. He sees God in all of His glory and holiness sitting on the throne in perfect control. So during all the uncertainty, during all the shifting, during all the transition, Isaiah knew that God is in control. Isaiah knew that God is in control. And listen, many of us can resonate with that because while we face circumstances where it feels like everything is coming apart at the seams, if only we could get a vision of God sitting on the throne knowing He's in control, then we would make it through. Then we would make it through. So, he has an encounter with God. He has a vision with God. And as we do the same... As we encounter God's holiness, we find, number one, that He saves us. And number two, we find that He sends us. Let's go to God's Word together. Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. And please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word together. In the year <clears throat> that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two He covered His face, and with two He covered His feet, and with two He flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. 
The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And here's Isaiah. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. But y'all watch this. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am. Send me. Father, as we approach Your Word, and Lord, as we, much like Isaiah, as we approach You through Your Word, as we get a fresh glimpse of Your holiness and Your glory through Your Word, God, I pray that we would see, just like Isaiah, that when we feel that despair, as we see Your grandeur, as we see Your glory, that we would see Your mercy. And right when it feels like we are ruined sinners, that we would see that You have provided atonement. Right when we feel like You could never use us, that's exactly, Lord, help us to see when You send us. Father, I pray that You would speak today through Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. So we see several things here as... Isaiah encounters God, and the first one is a vision of the Master. A vision of the Master. God gives Isaiah a vision of Himself, the true King. But I want you to see there in verse 1, the timing of this. That's so critical. Notice the first thing that he says in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord. Now, historians tell us that the year King Uzziah died, that's you know, roughly about 740 B.C. But I don't think that he's telling us that so that we can you know, fix it to the timeline and have a date. Let me get, let's, let's look at King Uzziah's reign. Here's a brief rundown. He reigned for 52 years. Quite a lengthy reign. And at first... Everything looked great. In fact, it was said of his reign that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Right? That's, that's something that is good. When you see that spoken about a king, that's good. He grew in power and influence. But, the end of his reign was not like the first. The, his reign ended and it was marked by unfaithfulness to God and God's judgment on him. He was struck with leprosy. And so, for the last few years of his reign, he was a leper and he didn't even interact with anyone. He was isolated and his son Jotham reigned in his place until he died. That's Uzziah. And he's saying, in the the year that King Uzziah died, I saw 
the true king sitting on his throne. In a time of great uncertainty, in a time of, of where they're not sure what's going on, Isaiah sees the true king that's sitting on his throne that is really reigning. He saw him high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple, it says. This king is glorious is what that means. His throne is lifted up. His train fills the, the whole temple. What other earthly king is there like that? And, and so here's what that means for us. Just like Isaiah and just like the people of God that are facing uncertain times. They don't know who's going to be king next. They don't know what's going to happen. God was sitting on His throne. And that was enough. Listen. There's times in our life where we're not necessarily facing a transition of a king or a transition of a ruler, but we may be facing all sorts of other uncertainties. And what we need to see this morning, and as we face those uncertainties, is simply this. That our king is on his throne, and he's in charge. There's no, one, no king higher than this king. There's no one that, that, are, that knows how it's going to turn out like this king does. He's on his throne. He's reigning. And listen, for us, that's basically like he's saying, hey, I've got this. Whatever you're facing, he's saying, hey, I'm sitting on the throne. I've got this. And so we need to trust him. We need to see him sitting on his throne and we need to realize that we should trust Him with everything. We can trust an unknown future to a known God. He's sitting on His throne, and verse 2 tells us about other creatures that we see around Him. Now, king, kings and royalty, they're, they're always surrounded by servants. And, you know, the, the better the servants, the mightier the king there's no earthly king that has servants like this. The seraphim, verse 2. Look with me there. Above him stood the seraphim. Seraphim literally means flaming ones. We don't know if that's literal. We don't know what the deal is there. But we know these guys are characterized by flame. And look at how he describes them. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. Six wings tells us that, hey, these guys are powerful. This king doesn't just have servants surrounding him. He has these superhuman beings around him with unlimited power. But y'all notice this. Even in all of their power and all of their might, what do we see him doing? We see him humbling themselves before God. Covering their face, covering their feet, signs of humility. One commentator puts it this way, even a perfect superhuman creature humbles himself before the all-holy God. Here's the question for us. Why don't we? I mean, these guys are way more mighty and perfect unlike us. Why don't we humble ourselves before God? Why do we stand proud before Him? 
Notice the song they're singing in verse 3. One called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. This word holiness means absolute perfection and uniqueness. It means that God is completely set apart. It embodies His perfection. And notice, they don't just say He's holy, but they repeat it three times. And you're like, well, what's the difference? Why, why does that matter? Well, it matters because of this. In, in uh, Middle Eastern poetry, they would repeat things uh, a lot of times to add emphasis And you see this all throughout the Bible. You see this in the Psalms. You see it in the Proverbs. You see it everywhere that they repeat things. And sometimes they may say it a little differently, but they repeat it because it's important. There is no other characteristic of God that is repeated like this in the Bible. If we were to look at God and we were to say, you know, which characteristic uh, is the, the most relevant to us? Which one is the most important? We would have to come away and say holiness. Before we say love, before we say graciousness, before we see mercy, we've got to see that this God is holy. He set apart. He is not like us. He is completely glorious. He is completely perfect. In all that He does. They're singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Notice what they say. The whole earth is full of His glory. No other king possesses that kind of glory. No other being possesses that kind of of glory. And this song is so intense that it shakes the foundation of the temple and the whole temple is filled with smoke. They are singing this so loudly and it is so profound that it literally shakes the foundation. Can you imagine a worship service like that? I mean, can you imagine this place filling with smoke and incense and being shaken because the praise of God was so intense? We've got to let go in worship sometimes. We've got to actually sing like it matters. Because He's worthy of it. He is worthy of it. So Isaiah is beholding the magnificent holiness of God. And what's his reaction? What's his reaction? Immediately he sees something. I'm not holy. This God is glorious. He's holy. He's perfect, and I'm lacking. Instead of finding that comforting, he finds it terrifying. Notice the the next thing. We see not only a vision of the Master, but we see a vision of myself. He sees this vision of God, and now he's turned introspectively, and he sees himself standing there. And notice what he says in verse 5. And I said... Woe is me. He doesn't join in the song of the angels singing holy, but he joins in saying, no, woe is me. He says, I am undone. I am lost. 
That word there literally means he's saying, I feel like I'm coming apart at the seams. I feel like the weight of his holiness is going to crush me. And he gives three reasons for feeling that way. His despair comes, first of all, we see from his own sin. He says, I am a man of unclean lips there in verse 5. He's confessing his own sin. But notice it's not just his own sin, but he recognizes his people's sin. So it's already bad enough that he sins, but he's saying, I come from a people that sin." And finally, he feels the weight of God's holiness. He feels undone. He feels despair because he says, my eyes have seen the king. The king is so holy that the sight of him would crush sinners. That's why God tells Moses in Exodus 33.20, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. That's the reason at the very end of the world, when Christ is revealed in all of His holiness, people will try to hide from His holiness and glory. Revelation 6 tells us, Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? It is universal for us as humans, as sinful humans, for us to feel crushed and despair and terror when we face the infinite holiness of our God. And rightfully so. He is so holy that He would crush us because of our unholiness. But y'all, the greatest verse in this passage is verse 6. The greatest verse in this passage is verse 6. This is what one commentator John Oswald writes about it. He says, This verse speaks of the depths of God's grace. Isaiah does not plead for mercy, nor does he make great vows if God will but deliver him. All of the evidence makes it appear that he considers his case hopeless. Yet out of the smoke comes a seraph with a purifying coal. Y'all listen to this. God does not reveal Himself to destroy us, but rather to redeem us. Verse 6 is so beautiful because God had every right to crush Isaiah right where He stood. But God did not show up in a vision so that He could crush Isaiah. But He showed up in a vision so He could redeem him. Before we can be redeemed, church, listen, we've got to realize how holy God is and how much of a sinner we are. And God doesn't reveal that to us to destroy us, to leave us in despair, but He does that for us so that He can give us grace. 
the grace that we sing about sometimes and say, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, like Isaiah." But grace, my fears relieved. The despair, the terror relieved when we see that He hasn't showed up in His holiness to condemn us, but to save us. God sends a seraph to Isaiah with a coal from the altar. He touches Isaiah's lips and just notice His goodness. Notice His goodness. He redeems him. God reveals himself. He shows, us, he shows us himself in our total failure so he can save us. You know, this atonement that we see here with the angel coming and, and touching his lips with the coal and, and forgiving his sin and his guilt, it points us to a greater atonement that was coming 700 years later. God would take on flesh. And the God-man would die in the place of sinners. Like with Isaiah, God came very near. He took on flesh. But instead of condemnation, He brought redemption. Meditating on this idea, songwriter Philip Bliss wrote these words, Man of sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. He sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Guilty, guilty helpless, and lost were we. Blameless Lamb of God was he. Full atonement can it be. Hallelujah, what a Savior. What do we say to this, y'all? What do we say to God's enormous goodness? If you're here this morning, you're in Christ. Instead of fear and guilt, what that means for you is that you have forgiveness and acceptance. The holiness of God should cause you to fall on your face and worship in gratitude for all that He's done. He gave His Son to save us. Instead of running away when we sin and when we fall short, if we're in Christ, instead of running away, we should run to Him. Now listen, everything in us when we mess up is going to tell us, no, you need to turn and run the other way. This holy God will crush you. But based on what we see here, when we receive His forgiveness, when we receive His atonement and we mess up, we don't run away from Him anymore. We don't have to hide anymore. We run to Him and just like little kids do, we climb up in His lap and receive His help. But what that means today is that if you have never received Christ, despair is your reality. Not only are you chasing after the wind in this life, but one day you're going to come face to face with this God. And you're going to experience exactly what Isaiah experienced. You're going to experience despair before Him. And instead of experiencing His great mercy, you're going to experience His wrath in a place called hell.
But instead of chasing after the vanity of life, why don't you receive and follow Christ? In fact, I plead with you this morning to do that. Stop running after vain things that will never satisfy you. And for the first time, come and say, you know what, I'm going to give it all to Him. I'm going to receive His forgiveness. And not only will He forgive you, but He'll put you in a right relationship with God, which is what we were created for. A relationship with God that satisfies us like nothing else can. A relationship with God that carries us through this life, carries us, yes, even through death, and will embrace us for eternity. That kind of relationship with God that is unshakable. That the world can't take from us. That the enemy can't take from us. A relationship with God that satisfies us so much that we'll turn our back on everything else if we had to, to follow Him. But I want you to see something else here. God's forgiveness is never the end of the road. This narrative does not cut off at verse 7. Now, if it did, that would still be great. It's never the end of the road because when God forgives us, it compels us to want to serve Him. We desire, after He saves us, to want to serve Him. And that's exactly what's happening here to Isaiah. We see a vision of the Master. We see a vision of myself. And finally, we see a vision of the mission. This is the first time in the passage that God speaks Himself. And what does He say? Who shall I send? And Isaiah answers, not me, I'm pretty busy with my own life, God, but, but don't worry, I'll be at church on Sunday. Who shall I send? Well, I, I'm, I'm busy warming up a pew here, God, so uh, why don't you send somebody else? That's not what Isaiah says, is it? In fact, just picture Isaiah here for a second. Isaiah has just thought that he would be crushed by the weight of God's glory and holiness. And then unexpectedly, God sends forgiveness and atonement. He is overwhelmed by God's grace and mercy. And he wants with every fiber of his being to serve this good God. This is the way one commentator says. He says, having believed with certainty that he was about to be crushed into non-existence by the very holiness of God, and having received an unsought for, unmerited, complete cleansing, what else would he rather do than hurl himself into God's service? All God's doing is giving Isaiah a chance to volunteer. He doesn't compel him, he doesn't twist his arm. He doesn't promise rewards. He just says, man, who's going to go for me? And he jumps up. I'm sure with hands raised. Here am I, Lord, send me. God's saving work leads, listen, to us freely offering ourselves back to Him. Service to God in no way saves us. Don't get the order wrong. 
Don't think that we serve God so that He will save us. No, He saves us. And then, out of gratitude, we serve Him. Listen, that means that there is no such thing as a Christian that is just chilling until they die. That means that there's no such thing as a Christian that has experienced His grace and says, you know what, Lord, I'm just going to come and do the bare minimum to skate by until I see You in glory. This means that in light of all that He's done for us, we give up everything. We come and say, Lord, I am Yours. I surrender it all to You. Who are You going to send? Well, send me, God. I would consider it a pleasure to go before He even tells Him where He's going. Y'all, a lot of preachers stop at verse 8 because that's a great place to stop. But when you look at the rest of the passage, verses 9 and following, you find out that the mission that God is sending Isaiah on is not that great. God tells Isaiah, you're going to go to these people, you're going to say this, and guess what? They're not going to listen to you. You're going to go to them. You're going to preach. You're going to prophesy. And it's not going to make any difference. Well, that's a bummer. Imagine if I told the Honduras team, like, hey guys, you're going to go to Honduras. Praise the Lord. But nobody's going to listen to you. You're not going to make any difference. You're going to leave there, and it's going to feel like you wasted your time. That's kind of a bummer of a commissioning service, right? He says, hey Lord, I'm going to go before you even tell me where it is I'm going. And listen, if you have not signed that over that blank check to God, you have not signed the contract at the bottom and handed it over to him then to fill in the terms. I say this with as much love and compassion as I can. You are not living in the will of God. It's his will that we serve him from gratitude. And perhaps some of you, if you're not serving him like that, maybe it's because you really haven't experienced the goodness of this God. Maybe it's because you're not a Christian. Maybe you need to be the one that receives Christ this morning. He calls us to the mission. I love what one pastor says, Robbie Gallaty. He says, the gospel came to you because it was going to somebody else. When God saves us, He sends us. God showed Himself to Isaiah to bring about salvation and sending. And notice how God orchestrated this. Uzziah died so that Isaiah would see the vision. He sees the vision so that he could feel the weight of his own sin. And as soon as he feels the weight of his own sin, God saves him. And finally, after he feels gratitude for that. God sends him. Does that sound familiar? It should because that's the journey that we're on. God orchestrates our life events so that for the first time we see him. And then as we see him, he saves us when we repent and believe. 
And finally, He sends us. How do we respond to this? How do we respond to this? I think first and foremost, if you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus, today is the day that you need to do that. And I plead with you not to put that off. I see people on their deathbed sometimes and it, and it just makes me appreciate the fact that life doesn't go as we planned. We think that we're going to have this nice deathbed conversion experience. We think that we can just put it off and making a decision for Christ and receiving Him until down the road. And listen, we don't know what it holds. And listen, you may actually get that, that moment on your deathbed and you may not even feel like receiving Him. You may be like some who die without Christ who just say, you know what? I've lived my whole life without Him. Might as well die without Him. I plead with you this morning, if you don't know Him, come and talk to me. Come and receive Him. This morning, if, if you're here and you feel like, man, you know, I, I, I have not been doing anything but just sitting, filling a pew. I haven't been serving Him but I feel this morning convicted that like, I need to serve Him and I, I need to, to do that. This morning I invite you to come and just recommit yourself to serving. Recommit yourself to saying, Lord, I will go. And maybe there's some of you in this room this morning that you feel like God is like pulling at your heart and you're like, what are you doing, God? What's going on here? And maybe for some of you, He may be calling you to vocational ministry. He may be saying, no, I, I'm going to use you for something in particular, if that's you, don't fight, respond. But maybe you're here this morning, and you're like me. You just need to be reminded of His grace. Maybe you just need to be reminded that He saved you, that He loves you. And for you, the response this morning is simply this, to worship. To worship. If you're here this morning, and You've been saved by His grace, but you haven't been living for Him. Repent. And guess what? You'll find that He hasn't gone anywhere. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. And Lord, we thank You for the salvation that You give us through Christ. And Lord, this morning as we come to a time of response, I pray that, that we would respond to Your Word Lord, that we would not sit idle. That we would not say, well, I'll, I'll do something with God's word some other time. Lord, help us to obey immediately to what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.